Well, it is a great privilege to be here, and uh, I, I'd like my wife to stand here. Uh, this is Jan. Um, she is a beautiful one. You know, behind every, every successful or semi-successful man, there stands a surprised woman, and that is that surprised woman. I'd like to talk to you this morning for a half an hour, uh, those of you who are Christians and those of you who are becoming Christians. So I'm talking to two groups here this morning about extending God's kingdom in your little world. And I'd like to use as our base in Scripture the Scripture that we've just heard this morning read to us in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And we'll go through this together, and it's going to be very practical. I want you to take notes because you'll want to take this with you and apply it to your everyday life. We start reading here, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, every time in the scriptures where you read the word mountain, what you do is you take out your pen and you underline or circle the word mountain. Because every time in the scriptures where mountain is mentioned, momentous things are about to happen. Um, God told Abraham to go up onto the Mount Moriah, and sacrifice his son. That was a momentous event in his life to test who was actually first in his heart, his son or, or the God that had called him. Uh, Moses went up to the Mount, Mount of Sinai and got the Ten Commandments and came down. Uh, Elijah went up to the Mount of Carmel and, and, and uh, battled with the prophets of Baal. Jesus went up to a mountain, prayed the entire night, came down and chose his twelve disciples. Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount. He was transfigured on a mountain. And now, at the end of his earthly career, after he was crucified and raised from the dead, he says to his disciples, we're going to see each other for the last time, and we will meet up on a mountain. And I I believe when they heard that word, mountain, their their hearts began to beat uh, quicker, And their eyes got real big because they knew something very significant was about to happen. And indeed it does. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What what by doubted means in in this passage is they were still in a fog in terms of Jesus being physically resurrected from the dead. They were like you being wakened up tomorrow morning with your alarm clock. You wake up and you don't even know where you are and what city and who you are. It takes a little bit until you have your coffee to know where you are and that you are actually alive. This is sort of, they doubted, they were in a fog, but they were waking up to the fact that Jesus had risen. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Everything that we talk about, that I talk about with you in this text, begins with worship. Worship in this, in this verse is, in, in, the, in the Greek, it's one word. It's called proskoneo or proskonein, which means to fall on your knees or on your face before a deity and to worship that deity. Worship is always reactive. God reveals himself in all of his glory, power, and holiness, and we respond with surrender to him. That is worship. Let me draw it for you, and you will want to draw this um, on your piece of paper there, your outline. If we read the Bible, we know that there are only two realms in which a person can live. There is my kingdom, where what I 
want to have done on this earth gets done through my own efforts and capacity. So every person who's, uh, who's born on the face of the earth begins to build his or her kingdom. Little girls at the age of three already know what they want to be when they grow up. They want to be chancellors of Germany. <laughs> uh, they want to be uh, doctors. They want to be teachers. They want to be opera singers. Little boys, they know what they, they want to be when they're three years old. They want to, you know, they want to go to the army. They want to fly an Air Force jet. They want to um, be firemen. The older you get, the, the, the greater your dreams, your aspirations for your life. So you begin to build your kingdom. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I will give you an alternative. It's called God's kingdom, where what God wants to do on this, on this earth gets done in God's way and in God's power. Between these two uh, realms of living, there are two very significant and important people. There is Jesus, and there is I or myself. What happens to the person who is living in his kingdom and building his kingdom? He produces many good things, but he also produces things, and every person does this, produces things in his or her life that are damaging to him and to other people. Sometimes they damage their relationships, so there is a divorce, uh, there is an estrangement between him and his parents, or her and her kids. Sometimes they damage their own physical health, their mental health, their career path, their financial path. So sometimes not everything that we produce is good for us or good for other people. We produce things that are damaging and under which we suffer. And sometimes a person who has produced these things that are uh, counterproductive, he is suffering under the weight of his guilt and his shame. And then he hears somebody from Bethlehem Church come to him and say, you know, Jesus has come, he is God, he has come to earth in order to die in your place, in order to take your guilt from you and your shame and your sin and to give you a brand new life, eternal life, a new quality of living in this life already. Are you interested? And the person who is suffering under the things that he has produced says, I'm very interested. I want Jesus in my life. And this is what that person does. He says, Jesus, do this on your piece of paper. Jesus, come into my life. You, you know what he's actually saying? Come into my life and take away all the sin and the guilt and the shame of my past that I produced because I can't manage that and give me a wonderful future in heaven when I die and in the meantime, leave me alone. Leave me alone! I think I can manage my life pretty well without you, Jesus, and... Should I run up against a, a, a wall, a brick wall, then I will know what to do. I will, because Bethlehem teaches me to pray, I will pray and ask you to help me build my kingdom. And Jesus looks at that and he laughs. <laughs> and he says, you know, I'm really not interested in helping you build your kingdom. It's much too small. It's much too weak. It's not beautiful. This is what I invite you to do. I invite you to enter into my realm in which you learn to live in relationship to me and out of my power source. 
I am in mission in this world, and I am inviting you to be in mission with me in your little world. I am inviting you to extend my kingdom in your little world in my power. This is the gospel of sin management. People wanting Jesus as an add-on to their lives in order to make their life a little bit better. But they're still the center of their lives. This is the gospel of sin management. It's not the gospel. This is the true gospel. Living under the dominion, every time you see a word with dome, King Dome, in it, you know that it has something to do with dominion or a realm of influence. This is the realm of God's effective rule in our lives. This is what is, is, is meant in the text when it says, and they worshipped him. This is worship, saying, Lord Jesus, anything, anywhere, anytime, I am willing, I am yours. Uh, the answer is yes. Now tell me the question. This is becoming a Christian means I leave my kingdom and I surrender totally to Jesus and I am about building his kingdom. So, this is also, this is the great, the great commandment. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else follows from that. If you love Jesus, you'll put yourself under his dominion and say, Lord, I am willing. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, meant by my Father. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. When you see the word therefore in the word of God, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore therefore? The therefore is a, is a bridge word. It means that what has come before therefore leads to that which is following the therefore. Because Jesus has all authority and power given to him by his Father, he authorizes us to go in his authority to do the thing that he would do if he were in our in our skin. Jesus wants to work out his life in this world through our lives. Only after you have treasured, not only believed in Jesus, but treasured Jesus because he treasures you above all things. This is after the crucifixion, which means that Jesus dying on the cross means something very significant for each one of us. It means that Jesus treasured you and me above, above his own life. It means that the Father treasured you and me above the, the life of his Son. Because God treasured us so much, we can treasure him in saying, you are my Lord, my God, my Savior. So Lord, what, what do you want me to do in my small world? How can I extend in your power your kingdom? And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked me that question because I have an answer uh, for you. Um, it is go, go and make disciples of all nations. Your main, your main mission in this life is not to make a lot of money, not to have a good home, although that's good to have, uh, but your main mission in life is to go and make disciples. And how do you, where do you start? You start with people who are not yet Christians. Make disciples of all nations is in, in context the heathen, ta ethne, the Greek means heathen. So discipleship always begins before a person believes. Make a list. If, if your name were Schindler, you would make a Schindler's list, okay? Uh, take a blank piece of paper. 
make a list of all the, the people in your life that you have a regular relationship with that are far from God. Make your Schindler's list. Write down all the names of all your friends who are far from God. They're becoming Christians, perhaps, but they're far from God. That is your personal mission field. Those are the people to whom the Lord has sent you and is sending you to make disciples among. So how, how do you do this? You do it in three steps. And Jesus tells us the three steps in this text. He says, first of all, go! Or what he means is between the Sunday services at Bethlehem as you're living your normal life, make disciples. And I'll tell you one practical way for you to make disciples beginning this week. Invite somebody on your list of non-Christian friends to a drink of their choice, probably coffee, maybe Starbucks or some other, or you've got great coffee out here too. You invite them to a cup of coffee or tea, and you do two things with your non-Christian friend or your friend who's becoming a Christian. You say, how are you doing? Say it with me. How are you doing? Okay. Okay. Even the most, um, yeah, the most down person in this church can say, how are you doing? They will say something. You know, in our culture, how, how are you doing is sort of a, 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 a phrase that doesn't mean anything. It's a, let's get on with what we really want to talk about. But the, you say, how are you doing? They'll say, good. Or they'll say, I don't know how I'm doing. Or they'll say, I'm doing terribly. At that point, you do the second thing. You say, tell me more. They may say, I'm doing great. You say, tell me more. They may say, I'm doing terribly. You say, tell me more. They may say, I don't know how I'm doing. You say, tell me more. When you say, tell me more, what that signals to your friend is you are ready to listen. Let's, let's go deeper here. I really want to know how you're doing in your heart of hearts. If you have listened to someone, you have loved that person. Think about your marriage. What does she really want from you, husband? Not your advice. She wants your heart. She wants your ears. She wants your full attention. She wants you to listen to her. And because if you've listened to her, you have loved her. So the first thing we do, and you can start it this week, this is an experiment. Do it for a month and then have a service of testimony in which you come up and you say, this is what I experienced with God as I was making disciples this past month. How are you doing? And tell me more. Okay? The second step is, um, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I say, deep, this is crazy. I'm supposed to baptize a person who's not yet a believer? No, that's not what I'm saying. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, uh, the name of a person was concomitant with the reality of the person who had that name. So when Jesus is saying, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is every time a person gets baptized, he gets baptized in the identity of the triune God. Okay. He, he, he identifies now with the triune God. That is his identity as a Christian. But before you baptize, what you have to do is you have to submerge a person who is becoming a Christian into the reality of the triune God. 
And you do that through prayer. Let me, um, let me give you an example. When, when you ask the second question, uh, tell me more, what oftentimes you will garner from your, your, your uh, friend is personal turbulence. They, were, they will say, well, if, you, if I'm honest, I'm really, really nervous because my, my marriage isn't going well. I'm very, very concerned about uh, my marriage. Or I have health issues. Or my kids are wayward. Or something like that. There'll be ter- personal turbulence. At that point, what you do is you pray up courage. I'm not a courageous person. I have to always pray up courage in my spirit and say, Lord, give me the courage now to say what I'm going to say. And then you say, can I pray for you? And they'll say, okay. And then you just just pray out loud in a manner that doesn't shame them, but you pray out loud for their turbulence and for them. I'll never forget, we were planting our last church in Kaiserslautern City in southwestern part of Germany. We had started in a movie theater and then moved on to um, a space that used to be the restaurant in which people who worked for the German railway company would have their breakfasts and lunches. And it was empty, and we were able to rent, uh, rent it and renovate it. So we moved in there, and all around this, this big space uh, in our worship facility, there were still people who lived in cheap apartments run by the German railway system. And one of the people who lived there was a friend of mine by the name of Achim. Achim, this is a German word. Joachim, Achim. Uh, he was about six foot six. He was a thin guy. Uh, he was always dressed in black. He shaved his hair off, so he's a sort of a skinhead. Uh, he always went around with big leather um, parachute boots on. On the weekend, he literally drank a case of beer himself, by himself. I was in awe of this man. I mean, I mean he could hold a conversation with you after drinking 24 bottles of beer. Uh, just an awesome... Uh, I mean, he was, he was like an athlete. He trained himself to do this. Um, amazing man. He was far from God. So one day I go to um, our, our center there, and I want to go in, and he's coming out, and I greet him, and I say, Achim, good to see you. How are you doing? And he goes, great. I said, tell me more. I'll never forget. His head goes down. His, his arms go limp. He starts to shake his head back and forth. He says, I'm not doing well at all. He would have never said that if I had not asked, tell me more. I said, Achim, what's going on? He said, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, and I've had, uh, for the third time in my life, I've had an accident with a train. And I've been on sick leave, and next week I have an appointment with a doctor who's going to decide whether or not I can, um, uh, I can be um, released from, from my job and, and get a pension. The man is 38, 38 years old. So he's very nervous about this appointment with the, with the doctor. So I said, Achim, can I pray for you? Put my arm on his shoulder. So I closed my eyes. I lifted my other arm, and I prayed as best I could for his anxious heart that God would reveal himself to him, for his wife, for his two kids, for, for, his, for the, the doctor who was going to make this decision, for his future and for his present. And after two or three minutes of praying out loud for him, after I said the amen, I will never forget what happened. 
he took his, his, his shaved head and he bored it into my shoulder and he grabbed his long arms around me and he pulled me into himself and he began to weep like a baby. He wept and wept and wept and he did not let me go. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> this, was too much, this was too much personal space for a German. Okay. What had happened in Achim's life? He had been submerged in the reality of the triune God. He does not yet know Jesus, but he has, he has sensed Jesus through this simple prayer of somebody who was making a disciple. He didn't know he was being made into a disciple of Jesus, but he was being submerged into the reality of the triune God. You can do that. You can do that. You can begin to pray with people who are far from God when there's turbulence in their lives. And then the last thing is, teach them everything I have commanded you. See that in the text? It's not what it says. The text does not say, and teach them everything I have commanded you. There's a difference between teaching and what Jesus is saying here. Uh, the text says, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. The difference between teaching and teaching to obey is the difference between a lightning bug and lightning. They both give off light, but they're vastly different. We come, we come from a, um, a Greek pedagogy that says if you have understood the material and can give it back on a test, you have learned it. Jesus was a Semite. He would have never said that. Semites, Jews would have never said that. Jews, you know what Jews said in their pedagogy? They said, only after you have done it have you learned it. Now, how many of you are, are under 40 years of age? Can I see a show of hands? Under 40 years of age. Wonderful. You, I'm going to say a name that you will probably not know. I'll explain this man's name. Those of you who are over 40, you will know this man. Uh, the man's name is Elvis Presley. <laughs> Did you know that Elvis Presley's um, uh, grandparents were from the Heidelberg, Germany area? They immigrated to the United States. Their name was Presley. At that time, they changed it to Presley because it was really not cool to be a German after the First World War in America. So they changed their name to Presley. Elvis and his parents went to um, a Baptist church in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and every, every summer there was a, a, a retreat for the young people in the church where all the young people wanted to go. Uh, there was great music and there were beautiful young women that were very attractive to these uh, boys, teenage boys. The problem was that you had to pay a fee to send your child to the retreat. But Elvis's parents and the parents of a number of children in this church were poor and they couldn't afford to send their children to this retreat. So the leadership of this Baptist church got a great idea. They said, okay, okay, we realize, we see the problem, we're going we're gonna to find a solution. The solution is... If a child can learn 350 Bible verses by heart, they can say them. Then they can attend the retreat for free. Elvis Presley attended that retreat for five years, back to back, for free. Every year he memorized 350 Bible verses. 
1,750 Bible verses, probably two more than Pastor Barry knows. Do you know the, the difference that that Bible knowledge made in Elvis Presley's life? Watch up here. This much, a zero with the rims knocked off. If you know anything about his history, that did not change him at all. He was more informed, but he was not transformed. If you want to be transformed as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to obey and not just hear but to do what you've heard. So we, we, we tr take these people who are on their way to God and we say, now let me teach you how to pray so that you can pray. Let me teach you how to read the Bible so you can read the Bible. Let me teach you how to memorize and, and apply to your own life so that you can do that. Let me teach you how to share your faith because if you don't do it, you haven't learned it. And you may say, well, I'm, I can't do this. And you're right. That's why Jesus closes this great commission with a great promise. He says, and be behold, or see, and wake up, say wow to yourself, I am with you all the days of your life until the end of the age while you're doing this. I'm not with you in your sin. I'm not with you when you're just self-absorbed. But I'm with you as you're making disciples out of those who are not yet my followers. So if you're, if you're anxious about doing this, which is your commission, which is a result of giving your life to Jesus as the king of your life, which is an expression of love, if you're anxious about that, you don't have to be anxious. Jesus has promised we're in mission together. It's our mission. You'll never be alone when you're making disciples. This past week, um, a very, very uh, prominent evangelist turned 96 years old. Do you know who that is? Billy Graham. Billy Graham has spoken to more non-Christians about the gospel of Jesus Christ than any other person in all of church history. Millions and millions of people have heard the gospel through this man, and hundreds of thousands of people have come to know Jesus through the, 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 um, the crusades that Billy Graham and his books has produced. Billy Graham is an old man. He's 96. Uh, um, he he's, has Parkinson's. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. It's just um, several years ago he bought his last new suit. He said, I'm, in this suit I will be buried. It is just a matter of time before we hear in the news media that Billy Graham has died. And I can tell you what that will be like when Billy Graham has died and he has gone to heaven. This is what Billy Graham will do. He will go up to the first person that he sees in heaven and say, hello, my name is Billy, and what's your name? Camille. Camille. Oh, what a wonderful name. Camille, did you know that Jesus, who is God, has come to the earth to die on the cross in your place, and if you put your trust in him, you can be forgiven and have a new life? Yes, I do. Yes, she does. Camille... She knows this stuff. Billy will be happy. He will go to the next person and say, Hello, my name is Billy. What's your name? Will. 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 What a wonder. Like short for William? Yeah, what a wonderful name. Well, did you know that Jesus willed you as he died on the cross and if you put your trust in him, you can be forgiven and have a new life? Will says, I do. Billy, 
will be glad for Will. He will go from person to person in heaven doing the same thing, and he will get more and more depressed. Heaven. Heaven is the most depressing place in the universe for an evangelist. If you love to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, the way that we've done here, thank you, worship team. If you love, uh, you'll be doing that in heaven for all eternity. If you love to, to, to get teaching like Pastor Barry gives all the time, you'll get even better teaching. I don't know how it can be, get better, but it, it'll be somehow better in heaven. If you love to feast the way we will be feasting after the service, thank you, team. Uh, you will be feasting and you will not gain weight. But what you will never experience ever again is an encounter with a person who is far from God. So the clock is running. If you love Jesus, if you not only believe in him, but treasure him above all things, then he is inviting you to be a part of what he's a part of. His mission is to reach those who are outside of these walls. The future of Bethlehem Church, Evangelical Free Church, has nothing to do really with the people in this building, but everything to do with those who are outside of this building who are far from God. But to reach them, he uses his children who love him above all things to reach them. The future is in the harvest field and not in the barn. So this is my, my challenge to you. If you say, Lord Jesus, you are my Savior, you are my Lord, my King, I want to do, because I love you so greatly, because you love me greater than I love you, I want to do your bidding. I want to make disciples. Then come up here at the end of the service and just sign your name. Uh, we have two easels here, and you can come up and you can sign your name. As a, as a demonstration that Jesus is your treasure. And because you treasure him, you treasure what he wants to do in this world through you. And he has promised to be with you. So let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, it's so freeing. It's so freeing to know that it's not about us. It's not about our education. It's not about our looks, our age, our pocketbook, our experiences, our knowledge, it's all about you, Lord. And you delight into, in, in, in um, engaging those of us who are weak, who are often fearful, who have never done this before. You delight in partnering with us to do great things and greater things. We look to you, Lord Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, we love you. We treasure you above all things and all people. And because we treasure you, we want to go your ways, follow your steps to those who are far from you, whether it be here in this community or across the ocean through our missionaries and emissaries, wherever you would have us, we want to be making disciples, learners of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus. Give us the joy of seeing some of our friends and family members who are far from you to become followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen.